Welcome to episode 295 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, it is January 7th. We are in the throes of winter, but we got baseball on the mind. How are you doing today? I am doing great. That's great to hear. I am too. Again, despite being in the midst of winter, baseball, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of our time now. It's, it's coming up. Obviously, football playoffs are about to start, but for fantasy attention – People have closed the book on on fantasy football for the most part. You can do some playoff stuff here and there, but those dual sport folks are starting to come back Welcome to their back. their true love here at baseball. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. It's great to have you back. I know that you guys, you know, you had to go have your dalliance with football. Jason and I do it too. We talk about it. I don't know if you play any fantasy football, so I'm not talking down on football or anything, but everyone knows baseball is my true love and uh, I'm glad that it's it's getting back in focus. We got a little bit of news, got some signings. It's been pretty slow though for a while, but we do have four big name signings. Uh, for I want to remind everyone catch us up on tw- catch up with us on Twitter at Eno Saris, all one word, and at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R. I guess I should spell Eno's, uh, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S, because I, I I thought your name was Enos Harris for like two years before I actually <laughs> met you, so I do feel like yours probably needs more spelling than mine. Mine's just my last name, which is... Well, as long as you get the S and the A in there, you're fine. So, uh, yeah, and you, you don't think... You as can long call as you don't think Enos. it's Harris. As long as yeah, you don't right. think... Enos, uh, Enos... Uh, uh, well, what about have I heard? N-O, uh, you know, it's surprising. There's only three letters, but people get it wrong. <laughs> it, it's not that surprising when I, you consider how dumb people are. Well, and also, I am not one to cast aspersions on people's pronunciation. Oh, exa- exactly. And by the way, when I say <laughs> dumb, I, I'm pointing the finger back at myself. I, again, I had your name wrong. I'm I'm out here calling you Enos Harris. Uh, hey, hey breaking news. Breaking news, Uh-oh. we have a finalist on our staff at uh, Fangraphs for uh, FSWA Newcomer of the Year, Mr. Alex Chamberlain. Big congrats to Alex. And by the way, they're, they're tweeting these out right now. If we get any other information with perhaps regard to a podcast <laughs> or uh, any other baseball related topics here, we're going to let you know. These FSWA uh, announcements are coming out, but we got to talk some baseball. We got to jump into the, the two big signings. They're going to kind of go together, so we'll just we'll take them head on. Kenta Maeda, Scott Casimir, both signing with the Dodgers. Now they're they're set up right now. It's obviously things are going to change. We're January seventh. I'll reiterate that. But as it stands right now, when you look at the depth chart, it's an all lefty rotation, which is really interesting. Well, my is a righty. Oh, Maeda's a right. Okay, pardon me. Pardon me. Yeah. Totally. It, it seems like a lefty. He has this weird. Uh, pre-game ritual where he w- wags his arms around and he's he's a weirdo, but uh, <laughs> he's a righty. Par- pardon me on that then. Uh, <laughs> that when when Casimir signed, I know we were talking all lefty. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Maeda bumps Wood. Wood would have been uh, the Wood fifth. was the lefty, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, I was wrong on that one, but they still now – there are now four lefties and a righty. They've got two new additions. Start with Maeda and then we'll get to Casimir. What do you think of the Maeda deal? How is he going to fare in Los Angeles and was this a good fit? Well, I – in terms of like real baseball, we'll have to wait a little bit because all of the 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 rumored uh, details of the, of, the, of the deal are very strange. It's, it's like a – eight-year deal they're worried about his elbow so he gave him an eight-year deal but it's only worth 25 million dollars except he could get 10 million dollars a year major incentives right 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's a little bit of a, a hard thing to really break down until they have the press conference today and really confirm all those numbers. But I think, you know, anybody, anytime you can get a pitcher that could be really good for $25 million, I think you do it. <clears throat> the, the question is, how good is he going to be? And it's I've spent maybe three pieces writing about it, and I I have a good, I, an okay idea, maybe better than idea than a lot of people, but I don't. I don't think that I know for sure. So, you know, just to run through the different ways that, you know, <clears throat> we don't know how good he's going to be. So there's a, a thing called the Clay Davenport translations that I've talked about before. And uh, we use them a lot for the Cuban guys when they came over. And that was a way that I told you guys that Rosne Castillo was not anywhere near the same player. Uh, and Yasmani Tomas were not anywhere near the same players as Yasiel Puig and Luana Cespedes because their translations were nowhere on the same on the same level. Where where was I when you were giving out that Rusny news? I, I, maybe I wasn't on the podcast yet because uh, <laughs> that might have been back with. I took, uh, a, I took a swing and miss on him. Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, so what's it say uh, for Maeda? How, how's it looking for him? Well, so uh, it's really weird because there's like a page. Um, there's a page where you can see. Um, like all of the translated, uh, all of the translated pitcher statistics, um, and uh, um, then if you click on their names, you can go and see their uh, and see their um, their actual like uh, player page, right? Okay. And if you if you if you look at Maeda's translated statistics on the report that is generated, which it says generated Monday, January nineteenth, you know, so it's like you know a weekly report that's that seems to be the most updated page. Uh, it says that Maeda is like a four ERA guy with um, a translated you know five uh, per nine strikeout rate and like a two point five per nine uh, walk rate. That's not so, hot. Not hot. So kind of like a league average kind of guy. Um, if you go to his uh, if you go to his player page and look there, it says he's going to have like a three six five ERA, and uh, with the same the same uh, peripherals, which is a little bit weird because if you look in the major leagues for guys that have a five strikeout rate and a two point five walk rate, you're looking at guys like Yamani Gallardo, and they're not they're not like three six ERA. You, you'd project Yamani Gallardo to be like a four ERA guy. So um, I think in terms of the numbers, the translated raw numbers. Um, you know, Maeda looks more like a, an arm, like a useful guy than uh, a star that I think, you know, he's going to go for in in, uh, in, in drafts. So you so. had uh, you, you mentioned that you had spent three different pieces on Maeda. You had a couple of interesting comparisons for him. Uh, right. Rick Porcello and Jordan Zimmerman. Obviously, we've seen those two guys. We saw Porcello get paid last year by Boston after getting traded. And we saw Zimmerman you know, essentially uh, not replacing him, but now going to his old team, the Tigers, on a big deal. What did you see there that made the that made those two good comps with him? And and how? What are his chances of living up to the high end of those comps, which would be Zimmerman, since Porcello right now, you know, still hasn't done a whole lot on the fantasy landscape to be all that excited about. Porcello was a little bit like the Gallardo comp, where it was looking at strikeout rates and walk rates and, and trying to find a comp that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zimmerman was a little bit more of a stuff co- comparison because Maeda throws a slider and a cutter and a fastball and has good command of those things. And that's a little bit like Zimmerman's curve slider fastball combination. And uh, Maeda 
you know, relies on good command and a little bit of weak contact. It's a little bit of Jordan Zimmerman's game. So I think Jordan Zimmerman is pretty much the absolute best comp that you can get for, I mean, the best case scenario for Maeda. Then you've got the Porcello Gallardo. And then the last one uh, that might be the most interesting to our listeners because we talk about pitch FX data and stuff like that. I actually took the data that we have from two games of Maeda because he played in the World Baseball Classic. And I just took the, the movements on his pitches and looked for a comp based on those. And the almost like a very, very good comp was Aaron Nola. Ooh, so, okay. Um, you know, and I think that Aaron Nola is a really good place to put him because I think that's the right place to put him in the draft. I don't think Aaron Nola is going to be a top eight, nine round, ten round guy. I don't think he's going to be taken in the first 100 picks. Maeda might be, but I think that's being a little bit too excited. So I think, I think that's a great call. Right now, NFBC average draft positions have Noah as the 60th starter at pick 227 overall. So, you know, again— well, do, you have, do they have Maeda in there yet? Or uh, no? Yeah, they do. Let me, let me find him. Actually, I thought they did. They don't. He's in the system. I guess he just doesn't turn, he doesn't turn up on these— uh, on yes. these ADP rankings just yet. However, breaking news, that deal is official now. It is an eight-year deal. I'm seeing Dylan Hernandez tweet that out. So maybe we'll get a little bit more uh, of the full details now that they're actually putting the pen to paper uh, and signing Maeda. But it is an eight-year deal. I know it's incentive-laden. Uh, I think that is going to be interesting. I know that doesn't you know, matter too much to us on the fantasy side, but it is still pretty interesting. I really like that Noah comp. I'm trying to pull up. I, I did a, a a draft the other night. Just got on Twitter and said, "Hey, folks, let's who wants to who wants to draft a team?" And, and surprisingly, there were a lot of people who were very interested in it, and that was great. Uh, let me find out where Maeda went in that. It's just a one sample, but it will give us something to look at he went pick 182 and that was the 16th round of a 12 teamer there guess who went right before him i shit you not aaron nola literally the pick before him nice. went 181 yeah. so uh that's obviously a, and i like aaron nola better than 227 yeah, so yeah. i think that's a i was gonna point that out obviously that's a big jump but that that ADP for Nola, I think, is going to rise, but not to an untenable level at all. I think maybe he could get up to pitcher, you know, 55-50 area, which you now you're talking pick 178 to about 206. I think he can live more in that range. So good call there. Let's jump over to Casimir because this is another uh, interesting signing. Three-year deal, first-year opt-out, get, could get back in the market. Um, you know, his career was over. Like, I don't think it's outlandish to say that obviously looks foolish now, hindsight 2020, but in 2011, 2012, when you're, if you were declaring the end of, of Casimir's career, at least as anything that would matter in baseball, let alone fantasy, I don't think you were off base to do that. But he was only upper 20s, 27, 28 years old, rebuilt himself, got back on track, got with Cleveland, started off a little bit shaky, then had a great finish, then signed the two-year deal with the A's, got traded last year in the middle of that uh, second year to Houston, finished up with them, and now signing his third deal since we declared his, his career over. What do you think of Scott Kazmir as a Dodger, at least for 2016? Ideal place for him to end up, actually, I think. You know, getting he gets to go to the National League. He gets to get the strikeout boost that you get from the National League. Uh, he's going to keep suppressing home runs, which, you know, home runs were part of the issue even when he was really good. I mean, he he's always given up home runs because he's been a little bit wild. And uh, I guess maybe because he sees the platoon advantage a lot. I mean, he's a lefty. I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly why 
but home runs have been an issue for him in his career, even when he was really good. So, uh, you know, there's always a chance that the wildness comes back a little bit. Um, that doesn't seem to suggest he'll, he'll age very well in terms of, um, you know, what's going to happen when he's uh, 34, 35. But, you know, for the next two, three years, I think he's in the ideal situation. And uh, I don't think that uh, there's really anything too much to worry about beyond maybe heightened uh, age and health awareness uh, in, in terms of, you know, I would stick to the 174 projection, maybe even bump him down to 160, 150 just to reflect the health risk. I think that's completely fair. I mean, again, we've, we've seen now two really strong uh, seasons, actually two plus, because I got to give him uh, good credit for 2013 when Casimir had that great finish and then two quality seasons in 14 and 15. I think he'll be solid. You, you kind of know that you're, that you're inheriting a risk with him, though. Uh, what, what did you say his ADP was around? 170-something? Sorry, I'm pulling it up right now. Actually, he's currently living in that NOLA area. Actually, one pick ahead of him as the 59th starter off the board at pick 226. I think that's going to jump up a little bit. There probably a lot of those drafts didn't know where he was going to go. Now that he's with a good team, neutral park. You know, I don't, I don't think you have to worry too much about park for him. He's actually kind of shifted into a little bit more of a ground ball guy with these three, uh, these last three seasons too. So I think that that helps as well. We saw a 24% strikeout rate back in 2013, but then it's been 21 and 20 these last two years. You think Casimir can get that big jump back up again, or is he going to live more in these uh, low 20s area? Uh, I think uh, I think that's a decent spot because a lot of times when you're there's a there's like a, a whole thing here between you know floor and ceiling, right? And, and when you you when you're picking him, you're picking floor. And that seems like a good spot for like your fourth starter, but when or your third starter, fourth starter, that's a good place for floor because you want some innings. But um, as you get in, as you get in down, uh, you know you're gonna find other guys that have higher ceilings in terms of strikeout rate and stuff. Uh, and uh, I think that he's gonna live around 2021. 20, I think his days of of striking out 26, 27 percent of the batters are, are gone, and um, this is he's happy to live here and try to get weak contact and, and try to, you know, get out of the innings faster and, and preserve his arm longer. So I do think that there are going to be guys around him that I might like a little bit better for upside. But, uh, uh, and, and, and since his health is a part of the problem, that erodes his floor a little bit. But um, he's a good pitcher still. I definitely agree with that. By the way, baseball writer of the year finalists, Mike Podhorzer and Alex Chamberlain, big congrats to both of them as these FSWA nominations or finalist lists continue to uh, float out there. That's Alex getting the double nod. That's huge. Podhors are getting a nod. Uh, hopefully we bring that home. They'll be facing some pretty big stalwarts, though. Todd Zola, Patrick Davitt, Ryan Bloomfield. Uh, all three of them actually work for Baseball HQ. Todd Zola, very well known for Fantasy Alarm um, and also Masters Ball as well. So that's going to be a tough field for Mike and Alex to traverse. Hey, but they're going to do it. Europe. Finalist. Pardon me? Congratulations. Baseball article of the year, Paul Spore. That must be your uh, starting pitching guy. Yes, I got that for uh, article of the year and uh, publication, uh, best baseball publication going up uh -huh. against the Rotowire right. Fantasy Guide and Ron Chandler's Baseball Forecaster. Well done. Congratulations, Paul. Thank you. So hopefully the, the Rotographs team brings home some hardware. I'm very, very excited.
Yeah, all over the place. Let's finish up here with the news. Smaller signing. Just give me two sentences on it because it's obviously filler, eighth eighth starter kind of stuff unless he can get healthy. The Dodgers also re-signed Brandon Beachy. Obviously not any interest outside of like the super deep leagues, you know, 50-round draft and hold kind of stuff. But do you think he, he can rebuild at all? We're talking about a guy who now has 38 innings thrown in the last three years, including zero in 2014. So injuries have been a nightmare for this guy his entire career. Any chance he gets it back or, or are we pretty much done with Brandon Beachy? I think there's a chance there. I mean, I'd say what – with uh, Ryu, you don't know what this health is like. You know, Hyunjin Ryu is probably the fifth starter right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, or, yeah, because if Wood is out, so either Wood is out or Ryu's out. Let's say uh, Maeda pushes Wood to fifth and Ryu's out. Well, then uh, they've got a pretty good sixth starter, and it's going to be pretty hard to get in there unless Wood uh, just really doesn't uh, reclaim any of his good. Uh, but that's a possibility. Let's say Brett Anderson gets hurt. That's a huge possibility. Um, and Wood doesn't recover his old his old self, so that means that there might be two spots available in the rotation. Even if Ryu gets in there, that's one, and that means the next spot is Bolsinger, Frias, Beachy, Lee, Francelis Montas, and uh, Brandon, Brandon McCarthy, McCarthy when yeah. he comes back. So, uh, and then Brandon McCarthy has to come back uh, healthy too. So, uh, I think there's uh, a little bit of day- daylight and. Um, you know, I guess maybe setup man, um, maybe, maybe like eighth inning, maybe like holds guy, uh, possibility in there too. Um, but at 29, man, and it's been so long since he's done anything. I'm sort of surprised that they actually gave him major league money. Um, they must like, maybe they have a DL slot open. They can slot him in there for a long time, but it's been since 2012 when he really was any good. Yeah, he had and back-to-back TJs. Yeah, and that's just really not good. I mean, even just having a second TJ is not that good. So uh, I think that uh, – and his projections are not good because the projections didn't really love him from the beginning exactly. because he didn't have the greatest strikeout rates. And, you know, he just really had that one great year. Otherwise, uh, he's been sort of iffy since. So, you know, I got that. We, we're in a – we're co-owners now. Uh, 28 team uh, – the, the 28 team – or 20-team, 28-keeper league, where we have 40-man rosters, you know, we'll roster, I would roster him, like, somewhere in the 35th to 40th roster spot. So that means we're talking about, um, you know, the 800th player available next year. He, yeah, he, he, might, he <laughs> might go in that league. Brandon Beachy might go in that league. But you don't really need to have him on the radar until he comes up and does something. By the way, last thing on these uh, these awards, Jason Collette, our very own uh, as well. Of course, it was for his his series over at Rotowire, but but we still he's part of our family as well. So he gets uh, a nod for best Podcaster. best baseball ongoing series uh, for his Collette calls over at Rotowire. Well deserved there as well. So again, Rotographs team representing well. Hopefully we pull home, pull uh, pull down some of the W's as well. They're going to be announced in a couple weeks in Dallas, and I'm going to be there. All right, you know, next up on the list, and the, you know, re-signings are tough uh, when you're talking about fantasy because not too much changes. So it's a big move, but it's not a big move in our world when Alex Gordon goes back to KC because situation doesn't really change that much. But it's still a big move. It's another big uh, bat off the board 
We didn't really know where he was going to go. A lot of good fits. Anyone can use a, you know, that solid presence who can kind of play anywhere in the lineup with the skills that he has. Amazing defense. Would have been a good fit in a lot of spots. Remains a great fit where he stayed, though, too. What do you think of Alex Gordon going right back to KC? Yeah, the only thing that I don't like about it is that I, I think that like a different team might have batted him like second more often. Yeah, that's uh, true. And it's not that they they did bat him eighth once in Kansas City last year, but uh, they did they batted him a little bit lower in the order, like five and six, right? That, yeah, he was five and six, and that robbed him of of some of those runs in RBI. Now the injury did more of that, but let's say you you prorate him out to six hundred and forty, which he had the year before from his four hundred and twenty. So basically. Um, you take a third and you add it again. He would have had, uh, you know, maybe 60 runs and 70 RBI. That's not high. And that's low. Yeah. So his his projections are for 73 runs and 67 RBIs. Those, you know, those might even be high if they're going to continue like fifth and sixth spot, which is just weird to me. It's just, I mean, he's a really good hitter and, and he walks a lot. Why is it? And it's not like he's slow. No, that so, sixth spot it, seems uh, terrible. Uh, like five, yeah. I can kind of get, you know, five can still be all right, but that's where Morales was. And he was racking up all those freaking RBIs. So five would actually work. It, it, the problem is it Escobar at the top. And, and obviously they seem married to that. We, we know all the stuff about that, you know, the first pitch fastball stuff or whatever. I just, I, I think Gordon, honestly, over the course of a full season is your best bet up there. If you go Gordon, Moustakis, Kane, Hosmer, Morales, Perez, uh, Infante or, or Dyson, uh, excuse me, Escobar, Infante, Dyson. That's I think that's better. Escobar at the top, it's just not necessary, and it really hampers Gordon. So that's a great point. Uh, you know, batted mostly six last year, only a handful of games in the prime spots, first and second. He only had 27 games in those two spots. Uh, he's got to be batting higher to you know, get the numbers that he's supposed to have in the runs scored and RBIs. It's a good lineup. It's going to be a good lineup again, I think. But sixth run, uh, sixth batters just don't get a ton of burn on those two categories. So that does hamper Alex Gordon's value unless they make a change. He's going to have to get. He's going to have to get up into the second, first, you know, second or third spot because in order to get back to his old values where he was hitting twenty homers and you know, had 90-90 basically for runs in RBI or like 180 combined. I mean, he hasn't done that now for two straight years. And, um, you know, it's fair to wonder about the hamstring and, and, and you know, how healthy he's going to be and stuff. But, uh, you know, even if he hits 17 homers and hits his projection for stolen bases, which is seven, which is maybe, you know, maybe he's not going to hit that because he's, you know, maybe he's not as healthy or not going to run as much or whatever. Uh, even if he hits those numbers, he's gonna he's gonna rob a little bit uh, from you in terms of runs and RBI without a without a change. I will so. say that um, you know the market seems to be a, a addressing that he's the fiftieth outfielder off the board. I would have thought his name value alone would have had him a bit higher at pick you know pick one eighty eight. I can kind of live with that. Uh, obviously, that means sometimes he's going lower, sometimes a little bit higher. The highest he's gone in any of these drafts for the, the sample is pick 137, which would have had, had him up as the 37th outfielder. The, the names that he goes ahead, there's plenty that I would take ahead of him, but I don't have too many quibbles with that. So I think he's going appropriately. So at least with regards to uh, there being some trouble about where he's batting, 
it, it's being valued that way in the market. Let's move on to Chris Carter. Uh, first baseman signs with the Brewers, so he's going to go to another fantastic ballpark, going to be in the NL, so he's going to have to play the field. Uh, that probably hurts Milwaukee more than us, but you know it also puts him at risk uh, you know, health-wise. You can't really get hurt sitting on the bench being a DH. You can get hurt trying to play some first base, but again, great park. Not a terrible lineup. I know they're not a good team, but but where he's going to be, I don't think he's going to feel the effects of like a bad lineup with Lucroy Braun uh, ahead of him and then Davis directly behind him, Chris Davis with a K, that is. Uh, what do you think of Chris Carter as the primary first baseman for Milwaukee? You know, some people were, have been like, you know, oh, he's going to hit a ton of homers and this is a great – I mean – Minute Maid is a great place. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, I should have made it clear that he's going from one great place to another, but this is a better place when you're looking at park factors. That surprises me. Uh, it, it has the. I didn't actually. Look at I think them. it's second best for homers. Uh, uh, oh, let's park. Let's let's break it down as home runs as right-handers, uh, since he's a right-hander. Brewers uh, 109 park factor and Astros 104. That's interesting. Um. Also, let's see here. Doubles as right-handers. Brewers 100. Astros 100. Uh, he's not going to hit a lot of triples. He's not? Uh, That's what I drafted him in my own <laughs> triples, triples only league. I'm screwed. Uh, anyway, so yeah, okay. Slightly, slightly better home run environment. You know what I think might actually benefit him as much as anything? is He's going to run into some guys without the book on him. That's I a mean, good call. The brand new league might actually help him because uh, he does strike out a ton. You know, he does have a big swing and miss in his game, but he has an idea of what's going on up there. You know, he knows balls and strikes. So I think he can go hunting and, and, and maybe you think he can jump back up closer to 2014 than 2015 then? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I do. At least on a like a sort of one year basis. I don't know that, you know, his baseline is very much higher than a 200 hitter. I mean, his you know, for his career, 217. Uh, but, uh, in terms of, uh, what he can do in a one year, this could be one of his better years. He could do, uh, you know, kind of have a, like a little bump from that. And I think that, um, you know, a, a good way to think about it. I mean, well, the reason I think this is what I, how I should put it. The reason I think this is because I've talked to him a few times and he's not a brain buster. So I do think he has a, he must have a, a decent sense of the zone in terms of location, but I bet that he doesn't have a great sense of what the pitcher is trying to do with him. And uh, and so I do think that there, he could get a bonus out of out of coming to a league that you know they haven't faced as much. They may have a book where they they can read. But you still oh, got to do it. Yeah, there, there's a difference right. between. Yeah, of course. In in today's uh, day and age of data, there are you know the Cardinals are going to have a rundown of of what to do, but you still have to execute it. Whereas the AL West, they know how to execute it because they were facing him when he was on the A's and the Astros. Yeah. That's a great point, I, and I do think that yeah, that will so, help him. So, but, you know, since we're talking about, you know, subtly removing value from a line, you know, he, he's a guy that you think, oh, OBP league, great idea. You know, still, still decent for OBP. You know, you have to remember he gets platooned a lot. Mm -hmm. And even his OBP is not great. Career 312, you know, 307 last year, 308 the year before. Has to go back to 2013 to get 320. And that's even not, that's, that's not plus. That's the kind of OBP you might expect from like your speedster, exactly. right? Like your like your kind of slap-happy speedster. So it's not a great OBP. It may not hurt as much as his 200 batting average, but it's not a great OBP. And because it's not a great OBP, he doesn't get high up in the lineup, and he he's at, topped out at his best year for runs in RBI was 2014 
when he had 88 and 68. And that's and then last year was 50 and 64. And I think he might he might better that, but I'm not sure that he's going to necessarily play every day. That that's a good point too. Is that he might he, they might not need, he's going to be the starter right now, but they might not need him full time, especially if another option emerges. We'll see how the defense holds up. So. Maybe on on a rate situation, we could talk about him getting closer to his 2014. But in terms of pure volume, he still might yeah. look a little bit more like the 2015, where he's where Chris Carter had 64 ribbies and 50 runs with his 24 homers. So you can get some some cheap power. This is another guy I, I would say though that the market doesn't overvalue. I think the market as a whole understands his shortcomings. I think last year we as a fantasy community got a little bit drunk on what he did that first season, but Got kicked in the teeth last year with that 199, and everyone's kind of said, okay, let, let's move down. He's currently tracking as the 29th first baseman at pick 415, which is like, you know, off the board. That's because we no idea where he was going to be. I don't think he's going to skyrocket, but Chris Carter will probably be closer uh, to, you know, the 25th first baseman sort of range where guys like Greg Bird, Ben Paulson, Joe Maurer are living, and that's the early 300s of picks. So still going to be very cheap uh, with good reason, but if you want some cheap pop and there are specialty leagues where, you know, it's homers only or, uh, you know, they really favor power situations with ISO and things like that, he has his uses, but don't go crazy for Chris Carter. Is that our general point? Yeah, I think uh, deep, deeper league, daily leagues where you can swap swap them in and out, uh, get them in there against lefties. I think uh, that's that's a great way to use them. So yeah, um, both daily transactions where you make the moves, and also of course DFS, uh, you can you can get some value there. But otherwise, nothing to really get crazy about. All right, Eno, that's it right now for the moves. We've got a couple of pieces that you had recently that I want to talk about because I thought they were really interesting. Obviously, I will link both of them for folks that haven't read them yet. I really like the conceit of this one, um, handing out coal. It was really fun. Obviously, you did it around Christmas time, and you kind of basically uh, you know, wet-blanketed uh, the, the hot starters, the, the best of the best, and said, listen, it can go sideways. I think you had something at the front about how tough it is for guys to repeat in the top 20 uh, of starting pitchers. So don't be surprised when we see some turnover and you kind of highlighted uh, a bit of an issue with each of these guys. Pick three from, from that piece that you are most concerned with maybe meeting some of that worst case scenario this year. What do you think? Uh, who, who are the coal guys that you're most worried about? Yeah, it's interesting because the uh, it's I think I would say about half of the top twenty uh, you know gets loses like falls away every year. So you know even though we look at the top twenty and say God these guys are all great all the way down to Keuchel and and, and Price and Bumgarner and Den all the way Cole and Harvey and you know it gets a lot easier at the bottom. So you know John Lackey was top twenty last year. I'm not saying that he's going to be terrible. But he's never really had a full arsenal. That's kind of what we think of as, as aging well. He's kind of still been great command and a great slider and nothing else. So, you know, I think uh, he, he I said he reminded me of Doug Fister in 2014 where, you know, he did make it in the top 20. It was a good year, but it was also too, too intertwined with their, their, their decline phase mm-hmm. and, uh, and sort of too obvious to see. That at 36 years old, Lackey's not, you know, necessarily going to be the same next year. So I think Lackey's an easy one to take okay. off. Uh, you know, Marco Estrada, I like him. I, I even love him sometimes. I think that changeup is great. 
But Colin McHugh had a great curveball last year in terms of whiff rates, just like Marco Estrada's changeup was great by whiff rates. And Colin McHugh's, you know, had some troubles. And they're both kind of, I think, similar guys with the, you know, hiding the fastball. That's a and, great call, uh, by the way. Uh, doing there, yeah. Matching I mean, they're not the same it's not the same pitch. No, no, I mean, no, no, no. no. But change up, that but... same feel, that same profile that yeah. breaks out, and you you can see some believability. Because when you watch Marco Estrada last year, I don't think anyone questioned that he was pitching very well. It's all been a sustainability thing. Sometimes you watch a guy pitch to great results, and you're like, that guy's not pitching well. I never really felt that with Estrada. I'm like, he's really pitching well, but can he keep doing it? You know, that's kind of the question. And I'm, uh, he did it all the year last year. Uh, despite the the naysayers like myself kind of worried about a regression. I just don't know that we're going to get that second great year out of Estrada. He's going to come back down. That makes sense. All right, got, you got to give me one of the high ones now. One, one of the high guys that you have some concern about. We're talking about the bona fide ace types that you handed out Cole to. Uh, right. One of those that you might have a little bit. You, we're not saying that you're down on them or that you hate them. I mean, Twitter will say that, but we aren't saying that. You're just saying that. The concern that you found has some merit. Here are the three names uh, that I'm, I'm going to put them all out as equals first. And then I'm going to pick one. Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Cole, and Jacob deGrom. Okay. And the reason I have Jer Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom on there is you have to flash back to 20, 2014. And think of Steven Strasburg and Julio Tehran. And tell me that you didn't think those were two young pitchers with gas, full arsenals, their full career in front of them that just looked like they were going to be top 20 guys for the, 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 the time. You're, to, or, you know, you're for, really for, good for at this, long. by the way. You're really good at your <laughs> job because that's really good. And I loved both of them last year, by the way. So you're also got me here in a fetal position with chills about those teams that failed. <laughs> Cole, Cole doesn't really trust his changeup that much. Julio Tehran, you know, start, stopped throwing mm -hmm. it and kind of got crappy. Yeah, he basically got um, rid of Cole it. Loses a yeah, and Cole Cole loses a couple of miles per hour, and what if he's the next Tehran? I'm not saying he is. I'm saying that's close. Dick Degrom, I think, is more of a Strasburg situation. Was he put together a great year in terms of health? But he has had Tommy John before. He's a slight guy. I, I'm not uh, qualified to say what, how good his mechanics are. The command seems to suggest it's good, but he also ramped up in velocity last year. Degrom did, uh, which people don't really report on too much, but he did. He did add a couple ticks of velocity by jumping off the mound, sort of like Carter Caps, and um, you know it's maybe that's cool, maybe it's not. Uh, but Dallas Keuchel is actually the one I'm worried about the most, and it's not because I think there's he's it's a full drop off where he's no longer useful, and then he or that he gets hurt or whatever. I'm just worried about how he got to ace them uh, from being a good pitcher, and I worry that it's a little bit too much. It's not quite Jordan Zimmerman because Jordan Zimmerman never had the league-leading uh, ground ball rate. But you remember how Jordan Zimmerman never really had that strikeout rate? Yeah. And then that one year he had the strikeout rate, Absolutely. and that was 2014. And that's why he was in the top 20. And then the rest of the time he's more, you know, good but not great, 25-30. I think that there's a good chance that, that Keiko drops back to Jordan Zimmerman-type level where uh, it's more like a 7 or 8 K9 and not – a 10K9. And I wrote a whole uh, long piece about this. The way that Keiko got where he got is by throwing the ball outside of the zone more, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and and to a lesser extent, throwing his, his secondary stuff more. So he, he took he took 
the old pitcher's playbook. This is what old pitchers do. They throw the fastball less. They throw other pitches more. They throw junk more, and they nibble more. They throw outside of the zone more. And so I did an aging curve uh, for, for zone percentage. It goes straight down. They, you, you throw in the zone less every year that you're in the big leagues. And fastball velocity goes down every year in the big leagues. And uh, fastball percentage goes down most of the time. So, uh, so between those things, Keiko basically is using the old pitcher's playbook. The problem is that he's using it really early in his career. Yeah, exactly. And he's and he's uh, he's actually also extreme when it comes to zone percentage. There's him, Liriano, and Kyle Gibson, and they're the three guys who throw the ball in the zone the least. Well, and and, and those other two don't really. I wouldn't say have the stuff of Liriano. Right, right. And I know and, that and, a good part of Liriano's is because he, a lot of times he can't throw it. Like he, he his stuff is yeah. either too nasty and he doesn't have amazing command or control. So I get it. That's another part where but I don't, he diverges. Yeah, but I don't think that uh, you know I don't think that Keiko necessarily has a pitch that's as good as Liriano's slider. Exactly. I was I was trying to say that more to say that 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 is a worrisome. Yeah. Because when it's Liriano, I get it. That slider's so filthy that uh, he's got he's had folks chasing it for years. Even when he was at his worst, uh, Liriano, he could still get strikeouts because they'd flail and miss at it, and he still had heat. I don't think Keiko has that kind of arsenal at all, really. So that is worrisome. Yeah. Th- those are good names. So that- those are real names that you gave out to have some some legitimate concerns about. Because nobody also like yeah. Also, how can how can you can how can you take Keiko? And how can he do that again? Like, he can't throw in the zone any less. You know, he's already, like, bottom of the league in terms of zone percentage. So he can't – it's almost like the, the, the mouse with the, the, the button with the cocaine. Like, he can't hit that like, button Like, where's again. the – put more in, dude. Put more yeah. in. No, I, honestly, I like Keiko a lot, but you look at the names going around him, and I just have a hard time taking those names uh, – or taking him ahead of those names. You got guys like Syndergaard, Archer, Carrasco, Felix, all carrying ADPs behind him. And I'm like, oof, I, I just – I like and I believe a lot of, of what Keiko's doing. But if he falls back to that Jordan Zimmerman kind of level that you're talking about, then all of a sudden those guys are markedly better, and it's the strikeouts. It really is. So Keiko did have the strikeouts last year. That's a huge part. Uh, of that, you know, AL Cy Young type of season, but where can he go from here, really? You know, he kind of has to come back down at this point. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a collapse. The ratios could still be good, but if you're talking about a a, a three fifteen ERA and a and a one fifteen WHIP with a twenty percent strikeout rate, even for two hundred and fifteen innings, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not great. It's also just not – it's probably not top 20 just because of how many exactly. excellent pitchers we've got. It, 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 it's you know, not They're, they're pushing him. down. Yeah, I mean, well, like on that list – and he that's what what you're saying, 305, 120, uh, you know, 20%, 21%. That's like 7.7 K9. That's the, those are his projections right now. And I, I'm not sure that that's, uh, that's top 20. And, and what you're also, when you're looking at projections, you're, you're not allowing for the guys who are going to be surprises. Exactly. That are going to push, that are going to push up against that. Um, and, uh, I mean, this year's end of season rankings, when you, when you get to 20, you're, I think you should be surprised by how great it is. Danny Salazar and, and John Lester, Masahiro Tanaka, Michael Waka, those guys are 17 through 22. It's, it's you know, Noah Syndergaard was, Noah Syndergaard is 24th. You got to make room for Noah Syndergaard next year because 
if he if he goes on the trajectory he's on, if Johnny Cueto recovers anything, he can be in the top twenty. Exactly. So and then he Carlos Martinez, right if if he's healthy, if he's healthy, Stra- Steven Strasburg, if he's if he gives you more than one hundred and twenty seven innings, he's going to be in the top twenty. So there's always guys who are pushing up on the on this, and so for Dallas Keuchel to to fall back to a three point two, so even that last year a three point two one point two zero with that kind of strikeouts. That would have made him like 16th or 17th, around Lackey and Felix. And then if you and, take those you know, strikeouts just, away, that, and, that's where you get Syndergaard up there and, you know, and, and get the young guys pushing up yeah, on him. Yeah, we're just you talking know. about the guys who are close. There's going to be guys who are currently where Keiko was last year in pick 200 who are going to jump up too that we're not even really thinking. I mean, we're thinking about them, but it's, it's hard to get your mind around and say, oh, Joe Ross going to be a top 20 pitcher this year or your Dono Ventura or, uh, you know, other guys around, even like an Aaron Nola, he has a dream season. We don't think that's going to happen with Nola, but there are going to be guys way down the list who are going to jump up as well, not just the on the cusps. And I just don't know that there's going to be enough room for Keuchel there, even with a fantastic season. Nobody would complain about those projections with a 20% strikeout, right? So he he's a really good one. Uh, the other two terrify me, but I have to I have to understand that you're right with Cole and Degrom. You can't just you know. That's just the way pitching clear, is. Like, we like him. Of course. We like him. No, no, and, that's that's and, why I'm scared. I love both of them. Like, yeah, the the, keys, the piece was to have fun. It was to, in, even in being negative, it was still to be fun because it was like, God, pitching is terrible. It, it is, <laughs> it's so it's hard. So it, we love it. freaking hard. Uh, you know, I did a similar thing last year when I, 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 just, I just used the term a minute ago. You know, I did wet blanket on guys that I like just to try to entertain the other side because sometimes I get so focused on how good they are and what, what is working in their favor. you got to step back sometimes and say, well, they do have these risk factors that are very real, and it can go the other way. So I thought that was a really fun piece. I really enjoyed it. I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, again, I'll link it into the, uh, into the show notes so you can check it out. Another piece that you did recently that I really liked was about pulled ground balls and, and Sonny Gray. Now you talk about another guy. Basically – Gray was the guy last year that I was saying, uh, you know, can't have him in the top 20 because he's going to have a good, not great season. Well, lost that one because uh, he ended up being a lot better than I thought. Although the same thing kind of played out. I I worried that he wouldn't have a great strikeout rate and that he would have more, you know, uh, of a 320 ERA with a 112 whip. And instead he went 273-108. He did have the 20% strikeout rate. But that ERA and WHIP over 208 innings was enough to 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 keep him way up there. I think he finished just uh, outside the top 10. Yeah, he was 12th last year. So he's another guy that I would say I'm not putting him in the top 20 again for the same reasons. He's going to have a great year. You're going to look at it and say that's fantastic, but the strikeouts aren't going to be there. What did you learn? Uh, first off, what did you set out to learn for the uh, pulled ground ball piece, and what did you find as it relates to Gray? Well, you know, it just occurred to me, and, you know, somebody on Twitter was like, oh, just finding out about pulling ground balls. Whatever, dude. It, it just occurred to me that maybe something was there in terms of, of Sonny Gray because I noticed that his pull rate was high. And then I just did a simple thing where I was looking at pull uh, guys with high pull rates and high ground ball rates, and they were they were all pretty good pitchers. So I thought, well, let me look into this further. So instead of just doing all pull, I thought, what do we want to – really identify is how good he is at getting pulled ground balls because a pulled fly ball is, is nasty and a, and a pulled ground ball 
is uh, is death for the hitter. So in terms of in terms of uh, you know outcomes, if you pull a fly ball, the slugging percentage is like it's actually over a thousand on a pulled fly ball, and uh, the slugging percentage on a pulled ground ball is like two fifty. So uh, you know, like between those two facts, I thought here's something that maybe Sonny Gray is good at. Let me look into that. And in, in fact, that piece led into another piece where I looked at the ratio of opposite uh, field and, and, and pull. So when you go to the opposite field, an opposite field fly ball is bad for the hitter, but an opposite field ground ball is good for the hitter. I think it has something to do with uh, how people play you, shortstops, beating the shift, uh, maybe just about where that ball goes in terms of angles and stuff. It has something to do with how the pitch is coming in. But, you know, when Zach Greinke told me about pitching inside and pitching outside, he said, if they lean out over the plate and go to the opposite field in the, in the air, a lot of times it's right to the, to the uh, defender. So uh, it, that's sort of true. So, you know, the Sunday Gray piece was the first piece. But then if you look for a Colby Lewis piece that I did that's, that says uh, Colby Lewis is the best at something, um, uh, Colby Lewis is the best at something in baseball, um, in that piece, I did a ratio of their good outcomes to their bad outcomes. Okay. So, um, uh, so I basically said, you know, who's good at getting pulled ground balls against uh, 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 pulled fly balls, and also getting good uh, opposite field fly balls and, over opposite field ground balls? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So when I did uh, that was so the Sunny Gray piece, I was like, I don't know, this doesn't explain his Babbitt. But when I actually went all the way through and followed the string to the end, I ran, um, I ran that good outcomes divided by bad outcomes, and Sonny Gray was 11th. And the, the list goes A.J. Burnett, Trevor Cahill, Hiroki Kuroda, Edinson Volquez, Felix Hernandez, Carlos Martinez, Garrett Richards, Tim Hudson, Jesse Chavez, Roberto Hernandez, and Sonny Gray. So obviously since Roberto Hernandez is right by, above him on the list, it's not uh, a magic bullet. No. Uh, of any kind but it you know i actually when i look at those fringe guys i say well maybe that's part of why they're still in the game i mean you know it's not just ground balls for roberto hernandez it's like which ground balls he's getting and i think that's That's a good point i think that's part of what but then the the real difficulty is this if you throw an outside uh ball to to a guy who can pull the ball uh he'll still pull the ball so it's it's i think it's you can say i want pulled ground balls and I want opposite field fly balls, but it's not as easy to to actually get those things as to say you want those things. So I think that makes it hard to do reliably year to year. I want to see a, a pitcher, you know, he's like licking his fingers, uh, rubbing down the ball as they walk around the mound when the new batter comes up. I want him to say, hey, hey, Miggy. I need an opposite field fly ball here, dude. Just please do it. I'm going to throw the pitch over there. Don't be a punk and hit an opposite field homer either. I've seen you do that. And I hope we get right. that. I hope it's like a, a national game where it's on the air and we can kind of hear that clearly. I think that'd be a really good exchange. Um, interestingly, <laughs> I mentioned Miggy being the batter. I actually think it's a Tiger who, could, who would be good to do it. I think Verlander would have the stones to, to just say, listen. I'm going to throw you this pitch. Just pull the ground ball to Castellanos. We're trying to get him to learn how to play third. If y'all could just hit it to him all day. Trying to get the double play. Yeah, if we could get some practice here, we'd really appreciate it. We'd get out of the inning. And, uh, you know, I know you guys wouldn't score, but that's really not our problem. So I I want to see a pitcher just ask. How how many pitchers ever ask for what they want on the mound? Maybe that's why they're not getting it. No, obviously, I'm, I'm of course, joking a little bit. But I really did like that stuff because, honestly – 
I didn't really know. I, I, I knew, you know, kind of um, inherently like, okay, it makes sense that these pulled grounders would, would be good and opposite field fly balls, but I never studied it. So when you, when you, of course, put it out there, it's really interesting to see. Was there anybody in that list outside of like a Colby Lewis, maybe somebody who a little bit closer to being a, a, a fantasy viable option that came in that re- research that you said, oh, that's interesting. I like him a, a little t- tick more now for my mixed leagues even, not just for some deep league sort of situation where maybe you'll take a flyer on Colby uh, Lewis now. Anybody in the mixed league range? Off of that list? Off, just off of that, you know, again, they have other elements to their game too, but that list kind of brought them into focus for you. Was there anybody there? The answer can be no, by the way, because I didn't pre-wire you for that. Well, you know, I kept looking at Jesse Chavez, and I just wonder if uh, maybe he won't be as bad in Toronto as we thought he would. But um, I don't think that that necessarily, uh, you know, makes him a mixed leaguer. Uh, Garrett Richards, it, I think this is an interesting spot for Garrett Richards to show up. I was going to ask you about him. Uh, he hasn't really shown the strikeout rates. and you know, one time, but the stuff is so there, yeah. right? I'm on. I'm glad you brought him up. That's exactly who I kind of wanted you to talk about. So I should have just been honest uh, and outright. No, no. I mean, I mean, because Corona's out of the league. Cahill's is uh, like a uh, whatever, and uh, A. Burnett has uh, you know got one foot in the grave. I like so. Cahill is a whatever. Well, isn't Burnett retired? I mean, I guess he could come back, but he's. Oh, he's done. Oh yeah, he rode the Batmobile out into. Yeah, he, he, he's done. So, um, listen. About Richards, he had the amazing 2014, but it was 170 innings, had the knee injury last year, and still had a pretty good year. Obviously, you know, made uh, 32 stars, 207 innings, when it was looking initially like he might miss a month. So to come back and still be pretty solid for the full year, kept that ground ball lean, but they gave back the strikeouts. Can he get back some of the strikeouts? Because his swinging strike rate actually went up ever so slightly from 10.8 to 11.1. Negligible difference. Same swinging strike rate, essentially, lower strikeout rate, I still see a lot of potential in Garrett Richards. Am I crazy? Especially when you add in the pull ground ball capability. Yeah, I mean, 11.1% uh, swinging strike rate. That's hot. Yeah, that's, that's – uh, let me see here. I need to place that in context. That Yeah, that's 18th best in the big leagues. He's right ahead of Jake Arrieta and behind Matt Harvey and Danny Salazar. So I actually – I'm going to – it's weird because he's had these type of strikeout rates for a long time. He's had bad strikeout rates in the minor yep. leagues. He's had, you know, he, he, you know. so last year in a way was almost an anomaly. And that's why the projection systems are saying, nope, uh, 2015, uh, that 2014 was the anomaly. But, you know, the projection systems are saying you're just going to do much of the same. I just can't believe it, man. With that swinging strike rate and that velocity, I know steamer factors in swinging strike rate and velocity, and I don't know. Maybe it's the high fastball thing. Maybe it's not having a changeup. Um, but I think, you know, even if he just throws the curveball a little bit more or takes advantage of this, um, you know, his park and this ability to, to get pull ground balls. You know, I mean, he he gets Angel ground ball too. Rates up 5%. Yeah, that's true. So that's a big addition there. Who they got playing? Th- oh, Escobar. How's Escobar defensively at third? Which uh, you now again. Sorry to put you on the spot. I just uh, no, no. He's he's uh, he he was a really good shortstop defensively. Better than Freeze, Decent right? Second, and I think yeah, I think he's going to be good. So that's yeah, a better nice than Freeze. Upgrade there to go um, from Ibar. I think you'll have I think you'll have a better year. I don't know if he goes all the way down to two six one one zero four, which is twenty fourteen, 
But I think he'll beat his projections, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple more strikeouts in there, too. Yeah, I, again, I, I, I'm with you on the 261. I wouldn't necessarily start saying that. But if you're talking like a low three, but but getting the strikeouts yeah. back, that's where he could come into focus. Honestly, he's the kind of guy that is a decent juxtaposition against Keiko because Keiko could actually have a better ERA and whip. But if, if if the strikeouts do come back for Richards, then I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes higher because he has that more kind of complete game with the strikeout piece, assuming they both kind of keep an equal number of wins. You know, when you're judging fantasy values, six wins could be a huge difference when we know that tangibly that doesn't necessarily mean anything um, talent wise. So. I really like Garrett Richards, 30th starter off the board right now. I think that's that's a nice uh, – that's a value. I think that's, a, that's a, a good price to get him at, especially if you only get one of those upper echelon guys. Maybe you don't dip your toe uh, into the pool twice and get, you know – Bumgarner and Carrasco, you only get one of those types, and then you're coming back around when you're in the mid-20s, early 30s of pitchers, and you get a Garrett Richards and back him up with another guy uh, in that same range, like, uh, I don't know, like a Zimmerman or McCullers is there, Tanaka, Liriano. I think Richards can definitely be an SP2, so if you wait on that current SP2 pool, get another hitter instead, Richards is a good gamble, so... All right, Eno, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, that was your first podcast of 2016. How did it feel? Did it feel different than 2015? Huh? Or better? Nope. No, but it's it's nice to get back on the horse. Right? And, and uh, yeah, uh, we, that's, that's the season. We will have some exciting announcements soon about the Rotographs plan. We've, we, you and I have been talking about it now uh, for a little while, ironing things out, getting people situated to where they need to be. Rankings are going to be coming soon. Very soon, by the way, for those of you who remember last year, probably wanted them a little bit earlier. You know what? We listened. We listened. And so they're going to be out earlier. They're going to be out uh, in the near future. Again, more details on all that coming soon. And Oh, and also, you know, we have a couple spots on the on the roster here. Uh, if you want to uh, nominate uh, a writer uh, that you'd like that uh, you think might be a good fit at Rotographs, let us know. Absolutely. Comment. Tweet us. Definitely let us know. And if you think that nominee is yourself, don't be afraid to nominate yourself. That's all right. How do you think I got these FSWA nominations? I just said, guys, I'm here to nominate myself. <laughs> That's how you do it. All right, Eno. We'll be back on a regular schedule relatively soon, but you and I will not go more than a week without talking. And then we'll get back on the 3X a week very soon with uh, me and you twice and Jason and myself uh, on Sunday. So until then, take care, and I'll talk to you sometime next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.